The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. The smoking gun has arrived. Welcome to my weekly report for Thursday, October 3rd, 2019. Thank you for listening to this independent news, which appreciates your support through the donate button at buzzburbank.com. As he faced impeachment, the president believed himself to be a victim of persecution and argued repeatedly that he's a simple man devoted to the Constitution. He was indignant and more focused on his own predicament than the good of the nation. Much of the public figured the president was drunk when he made these claims. So says historian Brenda Wineapple, who wrote the book on Andrew Johnson. Andrew Johnson didn't have Twitter or Fox News in 1868, and the news in those days spread very slowly. But as president, Johnson was publicly whining about his persecution. In modern times, both Richard Nixon and Bill Clinton felt persecuted during their impeachments, too. They, however, did not share their feelings publicly. This president does. He is once again proclaiming himself the victim, demanding to face his accuser, demanding to interview that person after threatening the whistleblower with the capital crime of treason, all while pushing investigations of his political enemies, Joe Biden, and three years later still, Hillary Clinton. And again, making life easier for Russia. Andrew Johnson presided over the country after the Civil War. Trump, on the other hand, seemed to threaten a new civil war this week, right after meeting again with NRA Chief Wayne LaPierre, who, in an earlier meeting, had promised Trump more big campaign contributions if he'd back off gun control. The NRA had donated $30 million to Trump's 2016 campaign and was offering it to him again for a price a genuine quid pro quo. There seems to be a lot of that going around. On Twitter, Trump quoted an evangelical pastor who warned that impeachment of this president could lead to a civil war, quote, from which our country will never heal. Things weren't going well for Trump. Perhaps he thought a warning of a civil war would help. It didn't. A congressional member of Trump's own party, Republican Don Beyer of Virginia, a U.S. military veteran who's witnessed civil wars in other countries, tweeted back at the president, this is beyond repugnant. Beyer called on other Republicans to join him, saying the president is testing to see who will echo or silently accept threats of violence. And even if Trump didn't mean violence, he did mean division. It's clear he will tear the country apart if he thinks it gives him an advantage of any kind, said a senator from Hawaii. Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says that if the House impeaches Trump, as it now super likely will, he has no choice under Senate rules but to conduct an impeachment trial. How long you're on it, said McConnell, is a whole different matter, reminding us that the Republican Senate could quickly dismiss the charges, if it dare. If the Republicans can hold on that long, under the weight of the evidence and the sway of public opinion that has already begun, Things are unfolding rapidly. Get a good seat. The whistleblower in the Ukraine affair is now under federal law enforcement protection after credible threats against him for speaking up through proper channels about a concern that the president had offered U.S. military aid as a bribe to Ukraine to pressure it to investigate Joe Biden. Biden and now Elizabeth Warren are both candidates who can beat Trump in the 2020 election, but Biden has that Obama connection and a Hillary connection, making Biden Trump's prime target. Very important that you do it, said Trump to Zelensky in that call. Trump was once again courting foreign help with a campaign, but this time using taxpayer dollars as a bribe for that help. This time he was unconstitutionally holding back money endorsed by Congress for the purpose of helping Ukraine hold the line against Russia. You may remember Russia from our last presidential election. As a reset, Russia is considered one of the top two foreign threats to the U.S. by the American intelligence community, in addition to China. Russia is the most openly hostile among hostile foreign governments and has modernized its warfare by focusing on the Internet. Our intelligence experts agree that Russia interfered in our 2016 election using propaganda and hacking on behalf of Trump and to the detriment of challengers ranging from Ted Cruz to Hillary Clinton. You may recall Trump asking Russia for Hillary's email, saying how he admires Vladimir Putin and generally doing Putin's bidding here in the U.S. and around the world. 
You may also recall Trump in Helsinki saying he believed Putin over our own career intelligence personnel who served presidents from both parties for decades. And you may recall from just last week a whistleblower's claim and the call notes that now support that claim, informing us that Trump had held up that Ukraine money for a while, which would help Vladimir Putin feel that his help in Trump's 2016 campaign was money well spent. As noted here before, with Trump, it always goes back to Russia. This week, Rudy Giuliani canceled his plans for a paid speaking gig at a conference in Armenia. Giuliani bowed out after the Washington Post reported the conference would also be attended by Russia's Vladimir Putin. The impeachment of Donald Trump is about his use of taxpayer money for U.S. national security as a bribe offer to a foreign government that desperately needs that money to fend off Russia in exchange for help with his campaign. And we know this because he admitted it in a White House transcript made public by the White House. The smoking gun has just fallen into our laps. At long last, a clear and simple story about an international bribe offer for all the other crimes committed in broad daylight by this president and whether or not they'll be included in this impeachment, this bribe offer alone is grounds for impeachment. This clear and simple story, I've got that $400 million you've been expecting, you need missiles? I need a favor, though. Investigate my number one political rival back here in the U.S., Volodymyr Zelensky, desperate for that U.S. aid against Russia, agreed in that call to open a new investigation into the Bidens and asked if the U.S. could provide any help. Trump offered up his personal lawyer and one of his best friends in government. There are five names to remember right now in this impeachment inquiry. Donald Trump, William Barr, Mike Pompeo, Mike Pence, and one man who's not in government, Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. I will tell Rudy and Attorney General Barr to call, Trump replied in that call, according to the White House transcript notes. Barr is mentioned seven times in the notes from that call to Volodymyr Zelensky. The rough transcript was released publicly in part because it contained no national security secrets, only Trump secrets that were locked down in a top security computer, and this secret was only released when he mistakenly believed it would exonerate him. And while that was a nutshell version of the conversation with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, Trump did use the words, need a favor though, after Zelensky requested missiles, according to the White House's own documents. And Trump was holding back already that approved military assistance at the time of the call. Some House Democrats tell the New York Times they could have articles of impeachment drawn up by the end of October, depending on what else is included, and depending on how quickly public opinion catches up with the facts already before us, and how quickly Democrats can lead the public in that direction with their impeachment hearings. Whatever happens now will likely happen very quickly, and it will be scary. Happy Halloween, or Happy Thanksgiving, perhaps. Did I mention it's October already? Editor's note, for the purpose of clarity in my writing, I'm referring to the whistleblower today as him. In fact, the whistleblower remains anonymous, and neither you nor I know as fact the gender of that whistleblower. To use the plural pronouns they, them, their, and they are could leave us both confused about which they we're discussing. So for today, I'm referring to the whistleblower as him. Very soon, the whistleblower will testify behind closed doors as part of the protection of his identity and safety. He'll testify at an impeachment hearing conducted by the House Intelligence Committee that includes Republicans as well as the Democratic majority. The whistleblower will remain under federal law enforcement protection while the president calls for treason charges against him and those who gave that whistleblower the information that was confirmed in the transcript notes from the White House about that call with Zelensky. Trump calls them all spies, and he demanded to his staff that he find out who the whistleblower is. You know what we used to do when we were smart, right, with spies and treason? We used to handle them a little differently than we do now. To many, that sounded like a threat and witness tampering, a warning to anyone who dare blow the whistle on this president, especially those in the nation's intelligence community who follow the law and report wrongdoing when they've seen it. 
Former prosecutor Kamala Harris said Trump, quote, sounds like a criminal. Who snitched? Who gave up the goods? It sounds like it's straight out of some bad drama, huffed Harris. The whistleblower remains in danger of losing their job, their security clearance. They may face criminal prosecution and their life may be in danger as well. Trump is also calling for the questioning of Intelligence Committee Chairman and former prosecutor Adam Schiff for, quote, fraud and treason. On Monday, Trump called for Schiff's arrest on that charge. Treason refers to giving to support, aid, and comfort to an official wartime enemy of the United States, and Schiff did none of these things. Iowa Republican Senator Chuck Grassley has spoken out in defense of the whistleblower, in defiance of the president's position. Only a couple of Republicans have so far called out Trump on his Zelensky call, and most have either remained silent or rushed fiercely to Trump's defense. But this time, the public isn't buying it. A new ABC News poll has 63% of us, all of us, saying Trump's pressure on Zelensky is, quote, a serious problem. A CNN poll showed that one-third of all moderate Republican voters, moderate Republicans, a third of them, now favor Trump's impeachment and removal. Two other network polls show that a majority of Americans, 55%, now favor the impeachment hearings now that they're underway. A CBS News poll also shows that more people now believe Trump does deserve to be impeached than those who say he does not deserve impeachment. And 22% say it's too soon to say. So they're telling us there's a chance they could join those who support impeachment. And it's early. As word spreads to Americans who don't keep up with the news, that number will, based on this clear and simple case, continue to rise. There is, however, for those of us who do follow the news, much more to this story. And it appears that, at least on some level, Vice President Mike Pence is up to his neck in the Ukraine affair. Trump used Pence repeatedly to apply pressure to Volodymyr Zelensky, telling that military aid would continue to be withheld until he agreed to take on corruption. In the midst of Trump's and Giuliani's pressure on Ukraine, Pence traveled to meet with its president to convey that message. Was Pence part of the scheme to bribe Ukraine into investigating Joe Biden? Pence's people say he had no idea this was about the Bidens. But the Washington Post reports today that one of Pence's top advisors was also among those listening in on that July 25th call and that Pence would have traveled to Ukraine with a briefing book that contained notes on that July 25th call. So it appears Pence did know what this was all about and was all in on carrying out the president's demands. If that's so, that's an impeachable offense by the vice president. Might they go down together? If both the president and vice president were removed, the Constitution says the Speaker of the House becomes president and appoints a new vice president. Trump has reportedly said privately that if Republicans do not defend him to the end, he'll take Pence down with him, leaving congressional Republicans with something they really don't want, President Nancy Pelosi. But if you take nothing else away from this week's report, let it be that the vice president is very much a part of this and that, as always, It's all about Russia. Someday we will know the name of the whistleblower who has accomplished in two weeks what Robert Mueller could not do in two years. This whistleblower is now more likely than Mueller to be remembered as a hero for democracy. Like Daniel Ellsberg, who blew the whistle on the Pentagon Papers, or Deep Throat, an FBI agent named Mark Felt, who revealed what was being hidden by Richard Nixon. Unlike Deep Throat, this whistleblower is following the law. Like Mark Felt, this person is anonymous for now. And this whistleblower complaint is not just a claim by one person, not just the writings of a CIA analyst who had access to the White House. The whistleblower used as his credible sources at least a half dozen high-ranking officials who were every bit as alarmed about Trump's phone call with Zelensky. Maybe this guy just drew the short straw in deciding which one of them would write and or file the complaint. In the course of my official duties, wrote the whistleblower, the President of the United States is using the power of his office to solicit interference from a foreign country in the 2020 election. And although the whistleblower was not a direct witness to the call, he went straight to at least six of the people who were 
once he'd heard about Trump's jaw-dropping bribe offer. Those other people confirmed the offer and stand as potential witnesses in this impeachment inquiry. The Intelligence Community's Inspector General did some checking and found that the whistleblower report was credible and urgent. Later, the whistleblower's complaint was confirmed in a summary of that call that was stored in a computer reserved for the nation's biggest intelligence secrets instead of on a computer where such notes would normally go. And the whistleblower, claiming his six sources can confirm this, says the Zelensky call is not the only Trump conversation with a foreign leader that's filed away there in that super-secret computer for more than two years now. The practice apparently began early in the administration after Trump had embarrassed the White House in phone calls with the leaders of Mexico and Australia, as well as in a call with Putin in which he congratulated the Russian leader for his latest election win in spite of the piece of paper in front of Trump that read in all caps, DO NOT CONGRATULATE. The secrets were buried even deeper when in Trump's Oval Office meeting with two high-ranking Russian officials, he revealed a foreign intelligence source for the U.S. and a U.S. ally. Especially after Trump told those senior Kremlin officials that firing Comey had taken great pressure off him and that he was unconcerned about Moscow's interference in the 2016 election because the United States does it too. That behavior made Trump's top aides nervous, so they began to tuck that stuff away into a very special hiding place, according to reporting by the Washington Post. The whistleblower says he'd heard about this sort of thing for months, but that it was that July 25th Zelensky call that made him start writing his report. He says he watched the back and forth between the officials who were disturbed by the call and Trump's lawyers. Most visible among those lawyers is Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, who Trump had deputized to help him persuade Zelensky to find already debunked dirt on Joe Biden. Trump had repeatedly been warned by his own people before the pressure on Ukraine began to stay away from these conspiracy theories because they had been debunked. And that Biden conspiracy theory was further debunked this very morning with the release of a letter that shows both Republicans and Democrats united in 2016 in their efforts against Ukrainian corruption. That was the other thing that didn't feel right to this whistleblower and to the White House officials who were equally alarmed. Giuliani was mentioned 31 times in the whistleblower report. He's not even in government. That Trump's personal lawyer was being used for international diplomacy, being the emissary between the U.S. and Ukraine instead of, say, the U.S. envoy to Ukraine who understandably resigned, or instead of the Secretary of State and his team of professional diplomats and without the involvement of national security or intelligence or military officials. The president's personal lawyer was running the show instead. Remember, Giuliani's involvement in foreign affairs is the chief reason given by John Bolton for his resignation as Trump's national security advisor. Bolton, by the way, urged Trump before he left not to make that call to Zelensky. The director of national intelligence, Dan Coats, was fired. His services weren't needed anymore. Trump has Rudy now. The widely respected envoy Kurt Volker had resigned upon realizing his services were no longer needed since Rudy had this. Volker was caught in the middle between his job as an unpaid special envoy to Ukraine and the pressure campaign that was underway from Trump and Giuliani. Mr. Volker, who the whistleblower says tried to contain Giuliani's damage to U.S. foreign policy when Giuliani called Ukrainian leaders enemies of the president, Mr. Volker will be testifying for the House impeachment committees today. The House Intelligence Committee has also subpoenaed Rudy Giuliani, and all his relevant documents, subpoenaed by three separate impeachment committees. Lawmakers are demanding he respond to these subpoenas by October 15th. Giuliani has now hired his own personal lawyer. Trump needed a favor, and based on recent history, that's what his personal lawyers are for. Rudy Giuliani, once revered as America's mayor, is the new Michael Cohen. But this time, instead of paying to shut up a porn star, Trump's personal lawyer was helping to convey Trump's offer to trade military aid for campaign help. Giuliani's been on this mission since the middle of May, shortly after Zelensky took office, trying to get Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden on a conspiracy theory that's already been disproven. Giuliani, who now seems to outrank Trump's national security experts, says the whistleblower is, quote, a son of a bitch who's lied about him.
in the call, according to the now-revealed White House notes. Trump also repeatedly mentioned Ukraine getting assistance in its investigation from U.S. Attorney General William Barr. The names Giuliani and Barr were repeated and offered up again and again by Trump because he'd really, really like to get some dirt on Biden. The president's personal lawyer, Mr. Rudolph Giuliani, the whistleblower wrote, is a central figure in this effort. Attorney General Barr appears to be involved as well, he wrote. For one thing, we know that Barr did not recuse himself when it came time to decide whether the whistleblower complaint should be turned over to Congress. Instead, Barr took it upon his own Justice Department to investigate the investigation consisting of nothing more than reading the whistleblower's report. Barr's Justice Department concluded that it, A, was not an intelligence matter to be handed over to Congress, and B, that as a criminal matter, there's nothing to see here. Also mentioned by the whistleblower, a former Koch Brothers-funded Kansas congressman who's now serving as Trump's Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. Like William Barr and Rudy Giuliani, Pompeo is standing by Trump for now and to the extent that he can. And after denying it at first, Pompeo now admits he was among those listening in on that July 25th call. And after scolding Congress for, in his view, bullying State Department officials, Barr said he would cooperate with a co-equal branch of government. We are, as of this report, waiting to hear the extent of that cooperation. Pompeo had also said he supported Giuliani's efforts with Ukraine, even though it's Pompeo who carries the title normally associated with those duties, and despite Wall Street Journal reports of friction between the two. The friction may or may not be important as this story unfolds, but for now, the evidence indicates Giuliani and Pompeo's State Department worked hand-in-hand on the president's pressure campaign. Playing it cool, Pompeo said he sees nothing unusual about foreign negotiations being handled by a president's personal lawyer. And because he is now a material witness in this impeachment inquiry, Pompeo was the first person to be subpoenaed in what is now an official impeachment inquiry. In addition to depositions, the House committees also want Pompeo's relevant documents, and they want him to start naming names. They want the documents by tomorrow, and if they don't get them, House leaders say they will issue more subpoenas. And because they do now consider Pompeo a material witness in the impeachment of Donald Trump, they have stopped contacting Pompeo directly. Mr. Pompeo, say the three committee chairmen, has a, quote, obvious conflict of interest. The House Impeachment Committee chairmen are now speaking to the State Department through its deputy secretary. The chairmen say that if Pompeo failed to cooperate, the committee would conclude he's engaged in a cover-up of misconduct, including misconduct by a president. More than 300 former U.S. national security and foreign policy officials, however, have a big problem with this, even those who worked for Republican presidents. They've jointly signed a statement warning that Trump's actions on Ukraine are, quote, a profound national security concern, and they've called on Congress to get the facts. If we fail to speak and act now, they wrote, our foreign policy and national security will officially be on offer to those who can fulfill the president's personal prerogatives. Not for nothing, it was three days after the president's chat with Zelensky that National Intelligence Director Dan Coats resigned. This apparent bribe offer to Ukraine does not appear to have been the first time this administration has pressured that country into doing what it wants. The last time Ukraine wanted missiles was May of 2018, and it got those missiles as soon as it stopped cooperating with the Mueller investigation. We also learned this week that Ukraine wasn't the only country upon which this administration had applied pressure. You may recall that Trump had instructed Attorney General William Barr to investigate the origins of the FBI's Russia investigation. Trump has several wild and disproven conspiracy theories about the Russia investigation, and he's labored to discredit the FBI, our intelligence officials, and their findings, and the Mueller investigation. That's why he sent Bill Barr after what he and Barr mistakenly believed to be the truth, that the FBI and U.S. intelligence officials had spied on his campaign. Before he even started his investigation of the investigators earlier this year, William Barr told Congress that's what he thinks happened. The spying. Here are Trump's five main conspiracy theories. Number one, 
Trump believes Joe Biden pressured Ukraine to fire its top prosecutors to protect his son, Hunter. In truth, Biden pressured Ukraine to increase its prosecution of corruption because that was U.S. foreign policy. And fun fact, Hunter was never under investigation, despite his seat later on the board of a Ukrainian national gas company. Number two, Trump believes Hunter Biden was waist-deep in corruption, even though Ukraine's top prosecutor found no evidence of wrongdoing and found that Hunter had broken no laws. Trump sees nothing wrong with his own adult children benefiting from their father's high position in government. Trump believes the Ukraine whistleblower is biased and using secondhand information and is part of the deep state. That's number three. And number four, Trump's most bizarre belief that a cybersecurity company hired by Democrats in 2016 to look into the hacking of their emails actually helped Democrats frame Russia as the email thief. The company is called CrowdStrike, after which this conspiracy theory is named. And Trump's fifth false belief is that Democratic billionaire George Soros is behind what he also falsely believes was a conspiracy between Ukraine and Hillary Clinton. Trump wants his political enemies charged with crimes to help lock in his conspiracy theories, and he wants to clear the good name of Russia so he can lift those pesky sanctions. A generous gift to Vladimir Putin. All that established, we go back to Trump's assignment for Bill Barr. Investigate the origins of the Russia investigation and prove as many of those theories as you can. That's when William Barr, among other things, started buying airline tickets to meet with foreign intelligence officials to ask for that help. While the U.S. Attorney General traveled to foreign countries, Trump would be on the phone with their leaders to pressure those countries for help with Barr's investigation of the Russia probe to try to discredit it once and for all. The New York Times broke the story first, reporting about Trump's pressure on Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison to help William Barr with his investigation. The transcript of that call has so far been withheld by the White House, but we do know now from the Times reporting that Trump made that call at the request of William Barr. We know that William Barr has also reached out for help from Britain. This week, he was in Italy. The nation's attorney general hopscotching the planet to conduct this investigation for the boss. And Barr has made it a point not to recuse himself from any investigation of the whistleblower who's dealt a body blow to his boss. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has accused the Attorney General of going rogue ever since that whistleblower complaint came out. Barr could be looking at impeachment as well, as could Mike Pompeo, in addition to the President and the Vice President. As with Ukraine, Trump was asking Australia to investigate itself, in this case, to investigate the top Aussie diplomat who tipped off U.S. officials in 2016 that a Trump campaign aide had bragged about getting Russian dirt on Hillary. Trump is focused on four things as impeachment swirls around him. He wants to win re-election in 2020 by smearing Joe Biden at any cost. He wants to prove that his opponent broke the law in 2016, not him, locking her up if possible, a wish he shares with Vladimir Putin. And Trump wants to prove that his 2016 victory was legitimate and that he is a legitimately elected president and that good old Russia had nothing to do with it and maybe we should lift those sanctions. It is crucial to note that Trump is working to clear Russia of any wrongdoing, be it in our election or in Crimea. Clearing Russia is very important to Trump after Russia provided so much help to him in 2016. At the direction of Trump, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is conducting a new investigation of Hillary Clinton's emails. Pompeo's State Department investigators have contacted about 130 current and former department officials who communicated with Clinton through her private email address in 2016. Some are high-ranking individuals, others low-level employees who had used that address. And to show how serious these investigators are, those emails, despite being years old now, have just been retroactively classified, putting many of the emailers in possible legal jeopardy. It's actually the revival of an investigation that was launched right after Trump's inauguration, but an investigation that faded over time. This week it has new life, as Trump, in that call to Zelensky, pressured Ukraine to find Clinton's email server, which he believes is there, three and a half years after the FBI had exonerated Clinton of any wrongdoing. 
To our knowledge, this president still uses an unsecured phone and has more than once exposed intelligence secrets. But her emails is back. Just in time for the 2020 election, even though Clinton is no longer a candidate and even though Trump won in 2016. This week's revelations about pressure on Ukraine to investigate Biden and pressure on Australia to get dirt on the Russian probe have cranked up demands to release the other transcripts the Trump administration has hidden away in that top-secret computer. Russia says yet that none of the conversations between Trump and Putin are to be released without Russia's express permission. In fact, officials in other countries are worried about conversations with Trump that might be exposed in his impeachment and whether they can ever speak confidentially to this or perhaps any U.S. president again. This morning, the Washington Post reports that Trump is now urging China publicly to investigate his debunked conspiracy theory on the Bidens, even though his bribe offer to Ukraine for that same campaign help is what's getting him impeached. After the Mueller report proved relatively toothless, Democrats crept forward with their investigations, and then Trump's phone call with Ukraine fell into their laps. And then things began to move much faster. The whistleblower's complaint is the new roadmap to impeachment, clear and easy to read, far more so than the Mueller report or even the best summaries of it, and with much less confusion. This one is shockingly simple. Washington lawmakers had, at the start of the year, scheduled another break for this week and next, but for members of the top House committees, it's all work and no play. Among the things they're considering that the White House Office of Management and Budget had to be involved in telling the Pentagon and the State Department to hold back that money for Ukraine. Lawmakers believe Trump's been using OMB to pull the strings on a number of government policies by withholding their agency's funding. We'll be busy, promised Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff, to which Connecticut Democrat Congressman Jim Hines adds, the Speaker has made it clear, very clear, that we are not to let momentum drop in these two weeks. We will soon hear from the aforementioned ex-envoy to Ukraine, Kurt Volker, and ex-Ukrainian ambassador, Marie Yovanovitch, when they allow themselves to be deposed by Congress after being advised not to by Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. They agreed to appear anyway. Volker today, Yovanovitch on October 11th, a week from tomorrow. Now Trump's imprisoned former personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, would also like to speak with the lawmakers to tell what he knows about Trump and Ukraine. Things are moving quickly. Still, there are roadblocks. The three top impeachment committees have subpoenaed Secretary of State Mike Pompeo to talk about his role with Ukraine and to bring with him his documents relevant to the Ukraine scandal. Will Pompeo comply with that subpoena? We don't know yet. But if this week is any indication, Pompeo did order five of his State Department officials with knowledge of that phone call not to appear, as requested by those committees this week, for depositions in impeachment investigations centered around Ukraine. Pompeo gave his order right after it was revealed that he was among those listening in on the call. Until Tuesday, Pompeo claimed to know nothing about the call he had heard in real time. Pompeo is now a fact witness in the impeachment of Donald Trump. The scheduled depositions of State Department personnel did not at first come with subpoenas, but that's likely to change thanks to Pompeo's intervention. And lawmakers say that if Pompeo does not obey his own subpoena, he will face felony obstruction charges. The House committees have announced they'll issue subpoenas to the White House if it does not voluntarily and in a timely manner hand over nearly all of the records pertaining to Ukraine. Stay tuned. Here now with some helpful tips for interpreting the president during this impeachment, Salon.com's Bob Seska. Thank you, Buzz. So I've developed a convenient method of categorizing Donald Trump's blurts and general shrieking, his loony ideas, as well as his wild threats of either violence or revenge against his perceived enemies. Whenever you read about Trump saying something outlandish, ask yourself whether the outlandish thing is Space Force or nuking hurricanes. The former, Space Force, was a Trump blurt overheard during one of his endless coke rants that actually became a real thing. The latter, nuking hurricanes, was a concept that Trump pitched to his aides as a means of disrupting mega storms. But thank goodness he never actually pursued it for real. 
Here's another example. His idea for a moat with gators and snakes adjoining the border wall, that's a nuking hurricane's idea, while feeding visiting dignitaries McDonald's hamburgers was, of course, Space Force, because it came true. That's how we do it. Either Trump's blurts eventually become a thing, Space Force, or they die as quickly as they're reported, nuking hurricanes. As you've likely heard, the president is in the midst of an ongoing mental snap in which he's blurting new cockamamie threats at a record pace. The in-progress impeachment and the horrendous news that launched it are clearly disconnecting Trump from his spadoinkel in a way we haven't quite witnessed in the past. And I suspect it'll only get worse as Trump slowly faces the inevitable, that his only chance of escaping accountability for his crimes is to resign the presidency with the goal of being pardoned by Mike Pence once he's boarded Marine One for the last time. So let's review. In the past week or so, Trump has threatened the following. Number one. Adam Schiff should be charged with fraud while also being investigated and arrested for treason. Okay, so Trump has repeatedly said Schiff committed treason for, yeah, paraphrasing the quid pro quo in the White House's non-transcript transcript of the call with Ukraine's President Zelensky. The threats continued during a pool spray and a press conference with the Finnish president on Wednesday when Trump repeated his treason accusations. Of course, we all know Schiff was merely illustrating the nature of the mafia-style coercion employed by the president on that call. It's worth noting, too, that Trump did the exact same thing on Wednesday when he told reporters that Nancy Pelosi said, quote, We can't impeach him on this conversation. This is a great conversation. No, Pelosi never said that, nor did she imply such a thing using other wording. Nevertheless, Trump mischaracterized Pelosi's language and actions. Therefore, by his own definition, Trump committed treason. The upshot here is that Trump will never order Bill Barr to indict Adam Schiff on charges of treason, partly because he doesn't have the guts and partly because it's not treasonous in any way. It doesn't have anything to do with offering aid and comfort to an enemy during war. So the threat potential nuking hurricanes. Number two, Trump accused the whistleblower's confederates of being spies who deserve to be executed. It goes without saying the whistleblower or any White House staffers who may have assisted him or her won't be executed. Again, Trump doesn't have the guts to do such a thing. Short of execution, though, Trump's interest in learning the identities of both the whistleblower and his slash her confederates has everything to do with Trump's interest in smearing them publicly to undermine their credibility and thus undermining the impeachment process. So in a way, it's execution by way of smear tactics. Once Trump learns their names, you can expect Fox News to spring into action, relentlessly doxing the accusers until the whole story is shoved back to a distance light years beyond the original allegations, a distance at which the public begins to forget about why there's an impeachment underway in the first place. So the threat potential here is nuking hurricanes with the possibility of Space Force. Number three, Trump threatened to investigate what happened during the 2016 election. This might be his most self-destructive move ever. I'll explain. Clearly, he's saying here that the Obama administration's actions during the 2016 election, especially NSA's intercepts of calls between Carter Page and Russian operatives, deserve to be investigated. Consequently, Trump has ordered Bill Barr to commence a probe into the circumstances surrounding the intelligence community's approach to the attack by Russia against our election, an attack that continues today, by the way. Simply put, Trump is now the first chief executive to order an investigation into his predecessor in the White House, breaking with a long-standing precedent. And don't forget, Russia is pushing this investigation to exonerate itself. As we all know, Trump always makes things worse for Trump, and this is a doozy. As a consequence of this investigation into the Obama team, Trump's opening himself up to be investigated by the next Democratic president. Now that the precedent is broken, this could lead to the prosecution of Trump on a variety of federal charges, beginning with obstruction of justice and myriad other felonies. Regardless, Bill Barr is currently in Italy pursuing this matter, while Lindsey Graham sent letters on Wednesday to the prime ministers of Italy, Australia, and England requesting assistance with the proceedings. This is a real thing, and the blowback against Trump is going to be fun to observe. Threat potential? Space Force.
As long as we bear in mind that most of Trump's worst blurts are never pursued in real life and which are often directly contradicted by other administration officials, we can safely maintain a reasonable stress level rather than flipping out with each chunk of crazy. However, we should never take for granted that the president is saying these things in the first place, regardless of whether he means it. It's all damage. It's all diminishing America's reputation around the world. It's all fathoms beneath the dignity of the office. Dignity that's now hiding in a crawl space somewhere under the West Wing until the Trumps vacate the building. And it looks like the events of the past month will absolutely hasten that moving day. I'm Bob Seska for Buzz Burbank News and Comment. Thank you, Bob. Get more of Mr. Seska at Salon.com, his Patreon page, and Tuesdays and Thursdays on The Bob Seska Show at BobSeska.com. He has a fresh show this afternoon. I join Bob on his Tuesday shows. And as it turns out, there's another government employee who's turned whistleblower on Trump. Only this time it's about his taxes. An anonymous civil servant who wants us to know that someone's been secretly interfering with the IRS's standard audit of the president. Whatever the president continues to hide in his taxes, it can't be good, considering the efforts he's made to keep his return secret unlike any president in a half century. Among the things they could reveal, whether he's been profiting off his presidency, whether he has serious conflicts of interest, and whether he might be financially beholden to foreign powers, particularly hostile foreign powers like Russia. For nearly a century, Congress has had access to anyone's tax returns, but that stopped at Trump, who has fought subpoenas and even sued the lawmakers who issued them. The whistleblower on Trump's taxes came forward this past summer and reportedly includes credible allegations of misconduct, and it names names. And there's now also the son of a deceased former executive of Deutsche Bank helping federal investigators by providing documents his father had as the feds look into both Donald Trump and the only bank in New York that would still lend him money even after repeated failures to repay his loans. Stay tuned. And as you can imagine, newsrooms are crazy places to be these days. Nowhere is that more true than at the Fox News Channel, which has been the target, more than usual lately, of bashing by Trump. There's always been an internal struggle at Fox between the apparently ethical daytime anchors like Shepard Smith and the evening opinion anchors like Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity, who occupy Fox News' prime time lineup when far more people are watching. The struggle between fact and opinion at Fox has leaked out onto the airwaves occasionally, but never so much as it has in these past two weeks. A recent dust-up involved Shep Smith and Tucker Carlson, Carlson's legal analyst Joe DeGeneva calling Fox News analyst Andrew Napolitano a fool after Napolitano had appeared for an interview on Smith's daytime show. The next day, Smith was back on his show calling Tucker Carlson repugnant for not backing his network's own legal analyst. But instead of backing Smith, Fox management backed Carlson, who brings them much more money with his primetime evening show. Management warned Shepard Smith that if he attacks Tucker Carlson again, he's fired. But even Hannity seems worried about Trump's chances for surviving impeachment. The accusations he laments are really bad. Fox News political analyst Chris Wallace went on the air, meanwhile, to call his colleagues' remarks in the network's primetime opinion shows deeply misleading. Chaos is the state of management at Fox now, as the network looks for ways to navigate an impeachment that threatens to alienate its own viewers, and that is, at the same time, undeniable and unavoidable. And while Fox ponders that tricky question, its ad revenues, even in primetime, continue to fall. That's where former House Speaker Paul Ryan comes in. Ryan joined the Fox News Board of Directors this year and is reportedly advising the network not to put all its eggs in the Trump basket since that basket may not be around much longer. The first congressman to endorse the Trump campaign in 2016 was New York Republican Chris Collins. This week, he resigned his seat and pleaded guilty to federal securities fraud charges. Collins had pleaded innocent at first, but changed his plea as the findings of the investigation were revealed. No law says a member of Congress has to give up their seats if convicted, but 
it was over for Collins anyway, since the Republican Party had already decided to back some other candidate in 2020. By dumping Collins, Republicans have, according to the polls, increased their chances now of keeping that seat red in 2020. We've long known that Trump believes his border policies got him elected. I ran on this, Trump told his staff in the Oval Office one afternoon back in March. It's my issue, he said, according to a dozen White House sources for the New York Times. That was also one of the days that Trump left his staff disconcerted about those policies and rightfully worried about their own futures. That was the day he proposed shutting down the southern border by noon the following day, and along with it, $200 billion in American exports and the traffic of American tourists in Mexico. The Times reports that as he applied pressure to his staff to immediately stop all immigration, his suggestions included adding a moat, a trench along the wall filled with snakes and alligators. He decided he wanted the wall painted black to make it extra hot in the desert sun with flesh-piercing spikes on top. He suggested shooting at the migrants who throw rocks across the border. Trump's people advised that would be illegal. Can we shoot them in the legs to slow their progress, he wondered. No, they told him, that's illegal too. You are making me look like an effing idiot, Trump shouted in that meeting. One of the advisors who had gingerly tried to rein in Trump, Homeland Security Secretary at the time, Kristen Nielsen, was fired just days after that meeting. When she told him his flat black paint job for the border wall would add a million bucks a mile to the cost of the project, he condescendingly called her sweetheart. Lou Dobbs hates you, he told her, and Coulter hates you. You're making me look bad. Trump also criticized other staffers that day, including son-in-law Jared Kushner. By the end of the week, reports the New York Times, Trump had abandoned his decision to completely shut down the southern border. But he had also removed the people you have heard described as the adults in the room, leaving Trump freer than ever to do what he wants without being told he can't. This week, the Trump administration virtually destroyed what was left of America's refugee policy. On Tuesday, the administration set the refugee cap at 18,000 people and it ordered states and local governments to ban the resettlement of refugees. These orders not only cut the number of people we take in as they flee persecution, violence, and extreme poverty, but it dismantles the system that supports refugees when they arrive in the U.S. More families will be torn apart. For 8,000 refugees already approved to come to the U.S., there is now uncertainty that they may not be coming here after all. The administration said its move was aimed at cutting the number of people seeking asylum at the southern border, but asylum and the refugee program are separate. The White House was lying about its rationale. The U.S., under Trump, has dimmed its beacon of hope. On the other side of this coin, a federal judge has blocked the administration from detaining migrant children indefinitely, as it had decided to do. The judge issued a permanent injunction against the administration's planned policy change on kids that would have kept them locked up for months, even years. Ten years for murder with a possible parole in five years. Former Dallas police officer Amber Geiger, convicted for killing an unarmed man after she had entered the wrong apartment, was sentenced yesterday and it set off a range of emotions. At the sentencing hearing, the victim's brother asked if he could hug the former officer. The judge and Amber Geiger agreed, and the video went viral. People talking about forgiveness. I forgive you, said the 18-year-old brother of the late Botham Jean, bringing even the judge to tears. Studies have shown that forgiveness gives better closure than revenge for the families of victims. It's been observed in cases like these, blacks are more forgiving than whites. Race has been very much a part of this story. Another white officer killing another black man, racist tweets found on her phone. And while it is unusual for an officer to be convicted of any crime in cases like these, much less sentenced to prison for murder, There is outrage in the streets of Dallas over what could become a five-year sentence for yet another of those killings. There is much to discuss about this case, but most of all, perhaps, forgiveness. Jersey City smells like rotten fish, bad carbs, bad carbs, and how not to get rid of bees in the final segment after this. 
Hey, thank you again very much for listening and for supporting my work. And as I've said before, this newscast is free to you, but not free to make. So if you'd like to contribute to this effort, please click on the PayPal donate button in the upper right at buzzburbank.com or on your phone just below the title Buzz Burbank News and Comment. And there's still that little Amazon button on my page. If you're shopping Amazon anyway, going through my page and bookmarking, that still helps. Thank you so much to those of you who actively support independent news. Of all the woods you could use for furniture, few are as lovely and as interesting as a board made from a big-leaf maple tree. In Washington State last fall, in the Olympic National Forest, tree poachers found one and prepared to illegally chop it down and haul it away. That's when they realized the tree was also home to thousands and thousands of bees. They decided to burn out the bees with fire. The result, the scorching of 3,300 acres of protected forest, extinguished at a cost of $4.5 million. Because Justin Wilkie and Sean Williams wanted that beautiful wood, they now each face multiple federal felonies. Wilkie goes on trial in December. Williams is currently being arraigned in Washington State. Many Americans have said they want to keep their employer's health insurance. They may be changing their tune. A new study by the Kaiser Family Foundation finds that premiums and deductibles for employee insurance have risen much faster than incomes over the past 10 years. The average employee health plan now costs well over $20,500. The employee now pays just over $6,000 a year out of their own pockets as part of that. Deductibles have doubled from around $800 in 2009 to more than $1,600 this year. At smaller companies, the deductible is often two grand a year. Medicare for all, declared Bernie Sanders from his hospital bed yesterday after getting two stents in his heart, which followed an episode of chest discomfort during a campaign event on Tuesday. Sanders says he feels good and expects to make a quick recovery. In the meantime, his campaign is suspended and talk immediately broke out about whether it was a heart attack and whether he's physically fit to be president. Even while opioid overdose deaths were on the rise in this country, our drug enforcement agency was allowing drug makers to make even more opioid pills than they had before. The Justice Department oversees the DEA, and its inspector general pointed out this glaring discrepancy in a report out this week. Opioid deaths grew by 8% per year from 1999 to 2013, and that shot up to 17% a year from 2013 to 2017. Throughout both periods, the DEA authorized drug manufacturers to produce, quoting the Inspector General, substantially larger amounts of opioids. His report says the DEA allowed drug makers to crank up their production of the highly addictive oxycodone. His report points out that while the DEA has had a plan of attack for other drug problems, it never developed one for opioids. There's been a federal and state crackdown on opioid distribution, but it now appears that among the parties to blame, the federal government itself through its drug enforcement agency. The lawyers representing those states are looking at that. Speaking of lawyers, Johnson & Johnson has settled out of court with two counties in Ohio that were among those hard hit by the opioid crisis. The company known best for its baby shampoo and Band-Aids also made a fentanyl patch and two versions of an opioid tablet. It denies any wrongdoing, but Johnson & Johnson is paying up. J&J &J will pay the counties well over $20 million, making it the fifth company so far to avoid facing a federal trial for its role in the opioid epidemic. Walmart, Walgreens, and CVS this week yanked Zantac and store brand versions of it off the shelves. There's concern one of the ingredients causes cancer, so users should consider switching to something else as soon as possible. The stores are offering refunds to people who still have in their possession Zantac or its store brand. Well, you're likely doing it wrong when it comes to carbs. A new report on the obesity epidemic shows we are still eating much too much sugar, starch, and saturated fat. The report says we have cut down since 1999, but by an unimpressive 3%. And we have made very little progress in eating more of the good, fibery carbs like beans, whole grains, fruits, and vegetables. 
so long as they're not potatoes. Our fat intake, meanwhile, has increased mostly thanks to the amounts of meat we consume. The bad carbs we eat, like processed foods, including most bread and potatoes, are high in calories while mostly low in nutrients. If you're not watching the bad carbs, Domino's Pizza Australia is looking to pay 20 bucks an hour for a garlic bread taster. The best 200-word essay or 30-second voiced video gets the gig. The FAA has become concerned with the amount of space airline passengers no longer have on commercial flights, space to move about freely in the event of an evacuation. Airline seats have shrunk by five inches in recent years. So this year, the FAA will have 720 volunteers evacuate various planes repeatedly with cameras and timers running, among other things. In fact, according to the Washington Post, the Federal Aviation Administration will collect some 3,000 data points to determine just how close together the seats should be allowed to be. The FAA is expected to set standards, finally, for the length, width, and angle of the seats. There is some worry among consumer groups that the agency might find the seats could be even smaller, closer together. Lawmakers are insisting that a group of volunteers be a representative sample of the population, including tall people, heavy people, and people with various disabilities. There was a different kind of emergency on a British airline flight from Frankfurt, Germany to Cancun, Mexico. It seems a cup of coffee wouldn't fit the cup holder, so it was placed on a tray table without a lid in the cockpit. When it inevitably spilled into the controls, the pilots scurried to mop up the mess, but by then a burning smell was emanating from the panel. Minutes later, the audio unit for communications and for making announcements to the passengers and crew overheated and burned out. The pilot turned back, deciding to land the plane in Shannon, Ireland, he and the co-pilot taking turns on an oxygen mask. As a result of this mishap, pilots will now only be allowed to board with cups that will fit the cup holders. 78-year-old opera star Placido Domingo has resigned as director of the Los Angeles Opera and has canceled all his future performances. He's apparently ending his 60-year career under a barrage of sexual harassment complaints. Abominable is this week's top movie with a decent $21 million in the first week. For all your movie stuff, click on the Fandango link at buzzburbank.com, please. In St. Cloud, Minnesota this week, nine-year-old Cade Lovell joined a group of adults in a 5K race. Somewhere along the way, this nine-year-old boy took a wrong turn and legitimately finished the 10K race in just over 48 minutes. He realized he had missed his exit and says he was afraid his mom would yell at him about it. But it was too late to turn back, so he committed to finishing the 10K. He ran that 6.2 miles faster than all of the adults whose average age was 38. The second place winner was 40. In Higgins, Pennsylvania, a fellow named Miles had just picked up more than 136,000 eggs from the Carl Faust farm and was headed for Elizabethtown. Headed north out on Route 125, unbeknownst to Mr. Miles, the eggs had shifted and fell out of his truck, splattering all over the pavement, many of the eggs tumbling down a hill. Miles kept driving for miles. Part of Route 125 was closed for several hours during the cleanup. Police are investigating a possible unsecured load. Our highway spill of the week. Motor City motorists got more than an eyeful on their way out Saturday night. Ne'er-do-wells in Detroit had reprogrammed an electronic billboard to play a porn video. Takes all kinds. Many people called 911. One motorist says he thought it was just an ad for a strip club. The video played for about a half hour until officials finally managed to stop it. Security video from the county building reveals two men in hoodies loading the porn into the laptop that feeds that electronic billboard. Authorities are now asking for the public's help in identifying these porn pranksters. And now about that truck stop camel whose testicle was bitten by a woman who had followed her dog into the camel's enclosure. After the woman crawled under the barbed wire, the camel planted its 600-pound frame on top of her, pinning her to the ground. She bit him in the place that was um, most convenient at the time. The woman, we can now further report, was taken to a hospital, but she is fine. She's also been cited for a 
leash law violations. The camel has been getting antibiotic shots for the bite. You can visit Casper the camel as he recovers at the widely criticized Tiger truck stop about 16 miles outside Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Back in Australia, where animal rescuers have saved a koala that had gotten up in someone's grill. Actually, the little koala was struck by a car and got stuck in the car's front grill where the koala stayed for about six miles at speeds of up to 70 miles an hour. Hospital staff say the koala had only very minor injuries and will be returned to the wild soon when she's well enough. There was a lion in the bathroom, a mountain lion in a family's home in Northern California in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains, a 45-minute drive from Yosemite National Park. The mountain lion had apparently crashed through the front screen door of the home and cruised past the surprised family members before settling into the bathroom. Mountain lions rarely harm humans. The family quickly shut the bathroom door and left it closed until sheriff's deputies could bust out a window allowing the lion to escape from the bathroom. Two years ago, a mountain lion broke into the home of a sleeping woman in California and snatched her little dog off her head but they mostly don't attack humans. New Jersey smells like rotten fish, at least in the towns of Bayonne in Jersey City. Health officials got on the case, and as nearly as they could determine, that awful smell, also compared to that of rotting meat, was coming from Newark. At last check, they still hadn't found the exact source. And finally, in Salem, New Jersey, police have arrested a gas station clerk after he tried to take a shoplifting case into his own hands. Surveillance video shows the clerk pointing an airsoft gun at the man and forcing him to strip naked. The clerk has been charged with weapons violations, aggravated assault, and making terrorist threats. The alleged shoplifter was released, as it was never determined he'd actually taken anything. The man ran away naked but returned later to get his clothes after realizing it wasn't a real gun. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thanks for listening and your support through the donate button at buzzburbank.com. I'll be back next Thursday with another Buzz Burbank news and comment. The preceding presentation was brought to you by The Realm Network.